Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Sidewalk Talk today. I'm here with Michael of Pegboard Nerds. Super oh. requested interview. People are always in the comments asking me to interview you guys. So wow. finally we did it. Thank you. <laughs> so were you originally Amazing. born in Denmark or where? I am born in Denmark, yes. Yeah, where in Denmark? In uh, Copenhagen. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the capital. Oh, yeah. were your parents originally from Denmark as well? Yes. Like Copenhagen? Yes. Yeah, what do they do? Or uh, back then when you were growing up? Uh, growing up, they were like workers, you know, just mm -hmm. regular workers. My mother worked for the government, and my dad, he was a contractor. So, where do you think you got your creative side from then? Uh, not from any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just came out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. I, when I was in school, like eighth grade, I was like really into '80s hip hop and early acid house music. Yeah. And I started doing like a radio show at a like a local radio. In, yeah. In, in How old were you when you were doing that? I was probably 14. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well. So yeah. I started that, and uh, it sparked some sort of interest in how is this music made? Mm -hmm. You know, how do how do they do it? And back then, you you did not have YouTube tutorials and. Yeah. internet and stuff like that so it was not easy to figure out yeah what to do and how to do it was this a lot of vinyl back then this was only vinyl yeah yeah, yeah. and so uh, it took me like a couple of years to save up doing paper routes and stuff to buy my first gear mm -hmm. um, I bought a drum machine the TR 909 uh, back then the 808 was like nah, nobody wants the 808 it, it sounds it's, not punchy enough and blah 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 but uh so it was the 909 um i bought that uh tp303 juno 106 like some of the early rolling stuff mm -hmm. um and started you know fiddling around that was 88 89 ish um and you were doing a lot of underground techno yeah parties, and then right? yeah and then um it took like four years you know of just practicing every day you know, getting just anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I finally, with some school friends, we did a, a little techno band, band? trio. <laughs> was there a name? Oh, I can't say. <laughs> just, you're just online? gonna find it. Oh <laughs> my god. It uh, but we did that, and um, yeah, it was fun, you know. We, we played some, you know, not the kind of techno you'll hear today, it was more European, more German style techno, fast really hard really close to hard style really but mm -hmm. just darker yeah was that music really common in Copenhagen or were you kind of no, the that first was, people on that the was scene? underground I yeah. was like I was the odd one out in school you know uh, you know with actually the, the the way ravers look today you know with weird gear and, yeah. and so stuff different. like that yeah but it was the same back then yeah you know it's it's so many years ago it's 
it's almost 30 years ago, but it was exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, so the mentality of a raver doesn't really, it, it didn't change at all, but it was kind of the same. Mm -hmm. um, but we did that, so we had our first release back, yeah, back in 2000, no, in 1992. Oh. <laughs> that was the first release. Mm -hmm. Were you on, releasing on, on, only on vinyl? Yeah, I was just yeah. gonna ask on vinyl. Wow. Yeah, and cassette tape. And so this was still when you were still in high school, or when was? Yeah, this was when I was in uh, high school. Yeah. Yeah. So were you just like selling it, giving out these? Vinyl? No, no. We had a, a contract with a record label. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the like, record label? Uh, the, the record label was called uh, Le Petit Ponce, mm -hmm. which is uh, it's not a French label. <laughs> it's a um, it's a German label. Yeah. And it was actually by a guy who is really popular in the techno scene today called Mark Romboy. Mm -hmm. Him and his partner, were, um, <clears throat> they had this really popular act called Mark Claude. And they kind of discovered us and took us in and we did a lot of records for them. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. And what did you study in college? You went there for a bit, right? Sorry? But you went to college for a bit? Yeah, so I, um, <clears throat> you know, music was not something I even considered being a way of living. So, so I'm an audiologist. Um, I studied audiology, and when I did that, I kind of, kind of figured out I want to be a doctor instead because all this hearing stuff is pretty boring. Mm -hmm. uh, even though today I think it's pretty interesting, but that's another story. And, <laughs> Uh, so I started, you know, figuring out, okay, I want to be a doctor. My grades were, I was, I was missing like 0.2 in my grades. Oh, you must have been so old school. school. Yeah, yeah, it was really old wow. school. So <clears throat> I, I had to do some, you know, extra work and, and stuff to, to get those points to get into med school. Um, so in, in, where I'm from, you can't pay your way into <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not possible. So well, I, what intrigued you about going to med school? Or like being a doctor? I don't know, I just found it interesting. I'm, I'm, I really like, you know, I like biology, chemistry, you know, science, all that stuff. Oh, you're the, I think you're the first reducer who's ever said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really into that stuff. Um, so I still read, you know, interesting, you know, white papers on medical stuff. If I find it interesting, you know, wow. um, just to keep my brain busy with mm -hmm. something else than serum patches and <laughs> DJ sets. Yeah. And then you decide to drop out or? Yeah, because <laughs> the funny thing is, and this was in, that was late, that was in 98, 99. And then I, uh, I made a lot of records back then, mm -hmm. I, like one or two every month. Oh wow. So yeah, a lot of records. Um, and then a guy from Universal Music Scandinavia called me up, said, hey, um, I have these two guys doing classical music and they want to do, they want to do dance music, like trans club yeah. music, but they don't know how to. So I went to these guys, classical percussionists, brought my sampler and a synth it was hardware back then mm -hmm. uh, yeah and, and that day we made a song that 
was quite successful. Mm. Uh, went number one in most of Europe, parts of Asia, wow. South America. What was the song name? It was called Safri Duo Played Alive. Okay, guys, check it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you What's uh, the artist name? Was that released? That's Safri Duo. Oh, okay. So those are the two percussionists. Yeah. I was just the producer. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, ghost producing, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but that became successful. And then I was like, okay, I'll wait another year with med school and see what happens. Yeah, and here we are. I'll never <laughs> look back. Yeah. yeah. And then when you met Alex, did it like click to you to become a duo automatically or? No, so <clears throat> it was because of this project, Safri Duo, and other projects for major labels like Warner, Sony, Universal, I was producing. Um, I met Alex because he, uh, he won a remix competition. Yeah, for Above and Beyond. Yeah. And um, I thought that remix was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And then I heard another remix he did, and another one, I'm like, who is this guy? And nobody I knew in the industry knew who he was. Oh, wow. So I had to figure out, you know, who is he? Uh, so I called up the label, got his email, emailed him, hey, I like your shit. <laughs> Can you do a remix for me? Mm -hmm. And. And yeah, so that's kind of how it started um, because I flew to Norway where he, yeah. where he's living um, and we started working together in 2004 uh, yeah, and we've been, you know, married ever since. <laughs> Was it difficult going from the vinyl to producing on a laptop or whatever? No, see, you see the vinyl was just that was just for DJing. Okay. So, but you were doing still, like, but you were using like hardware and stuff. Yeah. So it was just different, you know. It wasn't a DAW. Yeah. It was not in a computer. Mm -hmm. So, the computer would only be for sequencing, you know, telling the samplers, drum machines, synthesizers what to play. Yeah. And not you, you couldn't manipulate audio in the computer. That wasn't possible mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was quite different than it is today. Mm -hmm. Was it something you, that you just taught yourself, like over yeah. time? Yeah. Yeah, the hard way. And I think that's one of the things that you know I feel that young producers today are missing. Yeah. Is the hard work, you know? You, you can't you can't skip you can't skip med school and become a doctor, you know? You can't skip school and become a successful producer you know it takes time mm -hmm. you know that 10,000 hour rule it's, it's a thing you know mm -hmm. you, you need to put in the hours to become good at something and that goes for everything in life um, you know you didn't become a good uh, <laughs> interviewer I don't know <laughs> interviewer or youtuber or what, what, nobody gets that yeah overnight and uh, and I kind of feel that young people today are missing the point because they think, okay, if I if I download Ableton legally, some plugins illegally, mm -hmm. because my mom won't give it to me, and you know, you're suddenly a producer, a DJ, and after a couple of months, you're frustrated that 
your music is not mounting to anything and Monster Cat won't release it or whatever. You know, that's just that's, it's just not good enough. And mm -hmm. that's what the internet has given us. You know, the attention span of of people today. I mean, even myself, it's just going downhill. You know, back in the day, a record that was successful would be successful for like a year. Yeah, so different. Like today, a record is successful for a month. Mm -hmm. Tops. Yeah. You know, people, they want new stuff all the time. Um, that must be difficult. I mean, when you first started, were you, the, the duo, were you producing on hardware and then originally, you, then you were tra like transitioning over time? Do you think your sound changed in the transition? Oh yeah, of course it changes because yeah. you get, you know, you get different tools all the time, you know, it's, it's the best, Alex and I, we talk about this a lot, you know, it's, it's all about knowing your tools um, instead of having everything, you know, if you have mm -hmm. a, a too big a palette of colors, you know, it's just going to be a big wash of weird colors on the, on the canvas. And it's kind of the same here, you know, it's, it's about limiting yourself. Back then, you had an automatic like limit because you had maybe two, three synthesizers, a drum machine, a sampler, and a few hardware effects units. And that's what you had. So be creative, do something interesting with the tools you had. Like today, it's just, it's just an abundance of everything. Mm -hmm. um, so if you give yourself some sort of limitation or do some, you know, Give yourself some rules. I can't use more than blah, 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 blah. I feel that you're getting more creative. Yeah. You know, like you're creative with this, like a selfie stick and a camera. <laughs> but if you had a big production crew with like five cameras oh, yeah. walking around, it's just, it's just not the same, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. This kind of interviewing technique is different than anyone else. And that's what I feel we get with music too, you know? Yeah. And this is something that I asked Laidback Luke, but how do you, I mean, you've been doing electronic music for so long. How have you seen it change and where do you, are you positive about the future? Or are you kind of, I guess, more and more you're just, is it negativity towards it? You know what? I come from the same period as, as Laidback Luke. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what he said, but I kind of feel that, you know, music always goes in circles, you know, some things are popular for a period of time, then people need something new, you know, and then something comes back, you know, influences from 80s, from the 90s, from the 2000s, you know, and then you get like hard dance, hard style influences, and, and, and now it's, you know, it's been Deep House for a while. <sighs> All these influences, you know, Deep House has been around for 30 years. Yeah. It's not new. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and a record like Fisher Losing It, yeah. it, it, it could have been made 20 years ago. And it's both, uh, I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing because the good thing is that great music never dies. A good song never goes out of fashion. Yeah. Um, but style-wise, haven't we really been able to, you know, create something new? Mm -hmm. So style-wise, I think that the only thing, the only style that has been new uh, in the past 20 years is like the dubstep and the trap 
stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything else from trance to techno, house, all other genres, it's been around for ages. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just new artists or the kind of thing of other new ideas for the other genres? I don't know. Maybe, maybe our minds are not ready. I would, I would say 20 years ago, if I had heard like a Skrillex, Someboy, whatever song, session, yeah. I would have said, that shit's not music. That's just mm. noise. But people change, I change, yeah. everybody changes. You change taste over time, you become different, you know, you get older, your taste changes. It goes for everything hey. in life. Hey! <laughs> it goes for everything, you know? Yeah. Actually, since you guys have been around for a few, like a number of years, um, is it difficult? I mean, trends come and go, but you're still able to like keep yourself at a certain level. Is that something that's been difficult for you? Like staying afloat, but then also like staying true to your sound? You know, what we do is we don't think about what's popular and what's trendy. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't think about staying relevant. We think about making music that we like, you know? And if people don't like it, and that happens. It's just too bad, you know? It's yeah. back, back in the saddle, try again, you know? Mm. Obviously you want people to like your music, but you can't always, you know, get everybody to, to love your sound or your style. And our fans from the beginning, they are probably not fans anymore. Interesting. Uh, we just want to make great music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? What do you like about Alex's personality or how do you describe him to someone who has never met him? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> Alex is really, really interesting because he is... <sighs> I want to try and, you know, describe him really simple but it, <laughs> I, just, I just can't uh, he's a good guy he's he has great sense of humor um, he's a bit introvert mm -hmm. um, and he's a perfectionist mm. he's like almost overly OCDing on everything yeah I see I see that as a strength mm -hmm. but also a weakness mm -hmm. and to me that is what makes him and I a good match mm -hmm. because if he's up here yeah you know floating around then I'm down here pulling him down yeah in the in the right zone yeah you know and the other way around he's gonna pull me in, a, in another direction mm -hmm. you know I'll, I'll I'll easily settle for less yeah um, uh, because I don't think that, you know, a good record <clears throat> can be a good record even if it's not perfectly mixed. Yeah. It can still be a good record. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I also want the record to be a perfect record. Yeah. And that's where sometimes I give up easily. And he'll just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy who's never going to be satisfied. Even though the, if the record is out, he would be, shit, I should have, oh. I should have looked at that hi-hat. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah, just an example. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 
What would you say have been the biggest challenges for Pegboard Nerds so far? The biggest challenges? Yeah. Uh, touring. Mm. It's definitely touring. Yeah. Because the problem is when touring, one, you're away from the studio. Yeah. Well, my wife would probably say, one, you're away from the family. Yeah. Yes. Um, but artist-wise, producer-wise, you're away from the studio. And taking away that, you know, that grind that you need to be in, it's, it's not good for your, your output. So the amount of music and, you know, it, it just goes down. So if you're touring four, four years, four months out of the year, you know, that's, that's a, significant, a significant amount of time. Yeah. You have to be away from the studio. And like everything else, when you're away from the studio for a longer period of time, it takes time to get back into the groove. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's definitely one of the things uh, for me, yeah. at least. So, so definitely DJing is, without a doubt, um, or touring in yeah. general. It's, it's one of the bad things when it comes to music, but it also allows us to connect with, uh, with people that I, like our music, you know? Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, if it's fans or just people that are randomly at a show, you know? It gives us the opportunity to, to show people what we like. Uh -huh. Because we don't only play our own music, we also play some records of others that we like, and then we mix it in together. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I think there's, there's quality to both mm -hmm. and important things in both. But it's it's a balance, you know. You just can't can't tour all the time. But the problem is, you have to stay relevant. And how do you stay relevant? You do that by making great records. Yeah. Being really active on social media, and playing a lot of shows. Yeah. And those three things, they don't go hand in hand. Well, you would think they yeah. do, but you would need 48 hours uh, a day, mm -hmm. you know, to make that shit happen. So tell me about the time that you were like resident at a club back in the day. Oh yeah, I mean I had I had a few residencies. We had like a after-hour club and a Wednesday night club club night, and that was back in '98, '99, and that was actually one of the first to book Ferry Kosten, Armin van Buren, Tiesto to play in Denmark. Insane. They paid, I paid them oh like three thousand. Gildas, which is before they got the euro. Yeah. So that's like two thousand dollars. Oh my god. To play. <laughs> wow. So you're so, just like a, I guess you're an A and R back then. You knew all these people coming up. But you had to be. Yeah. So that's the difference uh, from today. Is back then you had to be on point. You had to know what's going on. And if you were really good at picking your music, that's what people like. It's not like today. People don't care about only the music yeah they want to like the artist they want to like the brand that's the difference yeah actually you mentioning social is that kind of difficult i mean when you first started it was like didn't even exist and now it's such a big part of everything like you can't escape it yeah and and, and you know alex and i we kind of grew up on not yeah having to do that yeah you know so it's been really difficult for us to really keep up with with how that works you know mm -hmm. and it doesn't it's not natural for us to you know 
do funny Insta stories or Snapchats yeah. or whatever. It's just it doesn't come natural to us mm -hmm. to be that, you know, hey, here's my life. I'll show everybody what I'm doing. It's just not us, even though we know that it's it's building your career. Yeah. Um, or it's helping if you're likable, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's it's really hard because at one point we do recognize that it's important with social media and being really really active, but we kind of feel that it's more important to make music. Mm. Um, and obviously to be with our families. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't really know what to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, no, I it's, think you answered it. It's, 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 it is what it is, you know, people, people want a slice of you, uh, you know, and, and you see it easily that a lot of people that have the time and the energy to do it, they, they are successful, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, because today being an artist, is is so much more than just making great records yeah i mean you don't see you know u2 rolling stones whatever they're never going to do all that shit yeah you know they're they're, they're they're too old for that then you can say okay who's even going to want to see what they do but for example we grew up on a lot of you know legends in the industry like Sven Fitt, um, The Prodigy, you know, um, all these guys. And you don't see them do all that stuff either. Yeah. Um, and that's what we grew up on. I would love to see what is going on, you know, <laughs> with, with, with the people that, you know, we admired growing up, obviously. So I do understand the mechanisms of mm -hmm. why kids today want to be part of of that life. But I also think that it's... It can be part of, you know, an artist's destruction because you see every day artists complaining about mental health issues yeah. and stuff. And apparently that's a big issue. And I, I have to say, I blame social media for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the whole like me situation, you yeah. know. And if you don't get attention from a post, you're like, oh, do people don't like me anymore. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I simply don't have time in my life to, to think about that. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather just not do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so true. Last question, non-music related, but what does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? Well, I so what is love? Yeah. Um, are we talking about affection? Are we talking about Up to you. love to music, love towards my kids, love towards my wife, my mother and father, Alex? You know. Yeah. Up to you. How I you mean, wonder? it's such a, it's such an abstract thing. Mm -hmm. Love. Um, uh, it's just to me, it's just a stronger word than like. You know, mm -hmm. I really like you. I really love you. You know, it's. I think love might be that you like it just a little bit more than anything else, and you and you don't want it to be not part of your life. That to me is love. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
I didn't even think about it. I love that answer. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. And now I'm with Alex. <laughs> my partner. <It's> Hi. <laughs> so you were originally born in Norway or where? I was born in Norway, yes. Okay. Born and raised. Where in Norway? In um, Frederikstad. Or Frederikstad. Oh, it's south, just like Oslo. Oh, okay. South of the... Are your parents originally from there as well? Yeah, they're from well different parts of Norway, but they're they are Norwegian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did they do? Uh, what then? did they do? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad's a landscaper, and my mom was a um, she did a bunch of different stuff. She uh, handled the archives of technical drawings for power lines. Oh wow. Um, for like one of the biggest like companies in Norway. Where do you think you got your creative side from? My grandpa played the piano a lot. My mom played it a little. My dad didn't play it at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, and also my uncle was a musician and his wife, my aunt, uh, is a painter. So I think probably from yeah, my grandpa and my, my uncle and aunt. Probably. Yeah. What kind of music were your parents playing in the house? They were playing, I mean, there was a lot of just like radio, mainstream radio. Um, so, I mean, I do remember one of the first songs that sort of like got my attention or something was um, Inner Circle with uh, <laughs> oh my god, I forgot. I'll get back to that. Inner circle. It was like bad boy or like, you know, what you gonna do when they come for you? Okay, yeah. And how did you first, how old were you when you first got into electronic music? I was listening to, there was this radio uh, show, it was just like a, a, a top 10 thing where the host would just like play the 10 most popular like dance tracks at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like a local radio. Um, and I was just fascinated by it. I think the, f the first track that I was like recorded on my tape recorded was uh, Dr. Dr. Albin with uh, No Coke. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what, that he was singing about, you know, Coke, but <laughs> I was nine and thought it was cool. <laughs> um, I also do remember being at um, The Gathering, which is a land party. Oh yeah, that was more, yeah, you talked about in the previous interviews, it's more, what was that like? Uh, it's it's crazy to be honest. You got you got five thousand kids in this huge like hangar thing, um, just playing video games. Yeah. Um, competing in, in graphics and coding and music. Um, and so I remember just sitting on top of this huge speaker because people like bring the craziest setups with. Yeah, just speakers, monitors, they build their own shelves on top of their, you know, allotted space. Um, and I heard Blimshin, or, or Blossom, as she's known by in the US, with a boomerang. And I was like, wait, what is this? Is this, is this music? Can you make this kind of stuff? Yeah. And it just kind of blew me away, and that just, no, I was just lost. Yeah, and I'll even be watching from home too. I knew electronic music was going to be my life. How old were you at that point? I was, this was in 96, so I was 14. Wow. So that must have, were you one of the early people listening to it in your 
Probably, school yeah. Friend, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then, how would you describe your personality back then growing up? My personality? Yeah. It is? Um, that? introvert, shy, uh, <laughs> yeah, just being, I, I was kind of like a nerd, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I was not part of the cool, cool kids, <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> And then, how did you, how long after until you did the remix for Above and Beyond? So the Above and Beyond remix was in 90, um, 2004. Oh, so you were, were you doing, were you producing or making music throughout all those years? From 96 to 2004, yes, I was. But, I mean, you, you sort of, the thing was, um, I started making music within what's called like the demo scene. Which is like a, it's very... I mean, I wasn't even aware of there being like a clubbing scene or anything that was like happening outside of Norway, so... Mm -hmm. But within like land parties and the demo scene, you have chip tunes, you have... I don't know, like demo scene is just such a, 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 a term on its own. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just weird computer music, I'd say. But then gradually I became aware of, you know, uh, I don't know, just like club music. And I started wanting to make that and I became aware of, you know, like MySpace was a thing and other sites like that. And then I heard about the Above and Beyond Remix competition. What was your moniker back then? So way, way back then was, I went by speed for mm -hmm. a little while. And then I changed it to uh, Flipside. <laughs> and and it, is there music still online? I th you can find like the flip side tracks yeah. on YouTube and stuff from from different like uploads here and there. Mm -hmm. And also when I met Michael, this is kind of getting ahead of myself, but when I met Michael, we went by Flipside in Parsberg. Oh. So I was still using the Flipside name for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and what clicked you to be a duo? Like, what about his personality? So he hit me up um, on an email after the Above and Beyond Remix competition and also after I did um, a different remix from a, for, for a German group. Mm -hmm. So he emailed me, he was like, hey, um, I love your stuff, I play it out, um, I, I produce, you know, this and that. And everything he <laughs> listed were things that I sort of like grew up listening to. Oh, so you're kind of very impressed from the onset. Yeah, so I was yeah. just like, wait, well, you made this, and that, and that? And so I was just like, I to meet you, thank you for hitting me up. <laughs> yes, I would love to do a remix for you. Mm -hmm. But so, then how did it click to be a formal duo? So yeah, I mean, this was in 2004, and Pegboard Nerds didn't form until uh, 12. Yeah. So we, we just like, I did, a bunch of remixes for him, which wasn't like a huge commitment on my part, like in terms of being a duo. But we did a couple of collabs as well, like Flipside and Parsberg, oh, okay. like I said. And we just sort of connected more and more, like he'd, he'd come to my house, I'd go to his house, we'd stay for a week at a time, get to know each other and just be comfortable around each other, mm -hmm. I'd say. And then in 2012, there was this like shift in the music scene. 
and also in terms of how software got better, like you could actually use a computer, you didn't need a, a ton of hardware to make good music. So we decided that we didn't want to do ghost productions and remixes anymore, and we wanted to focus on originals. And so we started Pegboard Nerds. Mm -hmm. How did the Knife Party collab come about? So we've been fans of, you know, Pendulum and Knife Party when they launched that since, since day one. And um, I guess the first sort of like connection happened when Knife Party played a pressure cooker at Paradiso in Seattle. And they tweeted us and they were like, holy shit, like had to rewind. Cause it was like, they, they played it like yeah. twice. And I was just like, no way, we're getting like, you know, acknowledgement from, uh, from our idols. Mm -hmm. So shortly after that, we, um, we were asked to support a um, like launch party they were doing in London. It was a mixed mag party. I don't know if you know the magazine. Yeah. yeah. So they were having like a party um, in connection with that, and so we went there and we played support for them, and we met them and we met their their people, like their managers and agents and stuff. And that's sort of how we got into um, touring. And we, we went on a bunch of shows with them and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we sort of got a track, a collaboration going. But, I mean, they're busy, we are busy, and things just take time. Mm -hmm. So, um, we were kind of hitting him up being like, do we want to finish this or do you want to just like kill it? And then, also, we sent another idea, just just for fun, I guess. And then within five minutes, Rob sent the vocals for Harpoon back, right? Because <laughs> he was just crazy inspired, and we were just like, whoa, all right, so do you want to finish it, or should we come to London? And they were just like, come to London. And so we booked flights and hotels, and within crazy. the next day, we just like went to London and, and worked on the track for three days. <laughs> So that, that was super fun. Yeah. How about living with fun. Cruella? Uh, also very, you know, you, you learn so much. Um, it's like how many of you guys? Like seven? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just different floors of the house, but yeah, still, yeah. you know, living together. Next to it was Khalifa. Next to it was Khalifa. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy time, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Was it... Was it your first time living with so many producers? Like, was the inspiration really different to normal? I, yeah, it's, 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 it seems like it's a huge thing here, or maybe yeah. in general, but I've never done, done that before. I've never lived like that. So, so, yeah, I mean, obviously it was cool just being able to just walk into the room and there's just people making music all over the house and you can just sort of draw inspiration and, and you just sort of push each other to be better. Not in a competitive way, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Just like, just like, yeah, you just feel super inspired and, and driven, mm -hmm. which is awesome. So when did you start touring in the US, like a few years after you started or? It was, it all pr pretty much happened in, in 12, 2012. That's crazy. Yeah. Then everything just, I mean, you started listening to EDM when you were like 14, so yeah. all these years and all of a sudden there's this one year, 2012, that everything blew Explodes. up. Was that kind of surreal? Like oh. all of a sudden it's just... 
Or, yeah, are you kidding me? You're sitting alone in this little room for 15, 18 years. And then suddenly you're just out there yeah. um, playing shows and stuff. So. Actually, with that sudden success, do you feel like you yourself, you had pressure to continue it? Like, I'll have to build on this year. This year has to be bigger than last year. Because that was seven years ago now. Yeah, I mean, you. yeah, of course, you always want more. Um, just kind of non-specific, I guess. But yes, we want to make better songs, bigger songs, play bigger shows. Yeah. So you had all this pressure from that year or didn't really think about it that way? It, it, it's more like you can you can sort of choose how it affects you, I think. Mm -hmm. And and we choose to like just let us let it drive us. Yeah. And not bring us down. Mhm. Mm you know, cuz it doesn't do any good. Yeah. So so I think you choose your own reality and you just let that motivate you and, and you know determine your actions from that mentality but mm -hmm. it's something you need, actively need to do yeah definitely and how about touring with Grizz touring with Grizz <laughs> yeah here, here that's a funny story we, uh, <laughs> we played a show I forgot where it was um, Syracuse I think and um, I brought my laptop into the green room because I was talking to Grizz about how Maybe doing a track and we're just playing songs for each other. And I went out to look at the opener and I come back in and I see Michael has this like funny look on his face and there's a bunch of people around my laptop. And I'm kind of like, what's going on? And then I realized they're all doing coke off of my laptop. <laughs> So oh I got very upset because I have to go yeah. through like I have to go through immigration <laughs> and my computer gets swabbed every oh. time. I kid you not. Holy crap. So <laughs> I took one of the merch t-shirts and a bottle of Grey Goose and I just drenched the shirt and I wiped all the coke off the laptop. They were all very upset. <laughs> were you worried for immigration? Yes. And yeah, and <laughs> when I when I, when I left US that time. I got pulled aside, and they're like, "Oh, you know, extra security test." Oh my god! And they swabbed it, and I was just shitting my pants. <laughs> I was so nervous. Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> even imagine. I'm like sweating even thinking about it. <laughs> it's like it messes up your visa. It messes yeah. up everything. And if that happens, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you get <laughs> banned for ten years, and this is, you know, our your life. This is my life. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very upset, <laughs> but it was kind of also funny in hindsight. Yeah. When did you first meet Monster Cat and how did your relationship grow over time? Uh, also kind of a weird story of how coincidences sort of happen. Mm -hmm. um, I made a remix for a friend of mine, Magnus, or Miu. Yeah. He sort of showed up on some remixes and he also did uh, the lyric video for mm -hmm. Gunslinger. But I was doing a remix for him that was going to come out on a label called uh, Dub Monkey. Which is run by two well-known drum and bass DJs and producers in Norway, and they have a connection through the, uh, to this uh, Australian YouTuber called Jesus Died for Dubstep, and so he uploaded my remix, and that was sort of the first time I got any kind of international recognition, I guess. Mm -hmm. So. And also, he was working as an A&R, or he had a connection to Monster Cat. 
so the, the song went up and also we put up this this like five song teaser which is just like eight songs that we were working on at the time just 20 seconds from each which sounded super powerful and super like interesting and um he hit us up and I was like Monster Cat this Canadian label are doing compilations and they're missing a track do you have something for them so we sort of just uh, super quickly finished one of the songs, which was Gunpoint. And that went on their sixth compilation, I think. Yeah. And then the next month, they were just like, do you have another song? And we are like, yeah, we have a bunch of songs. Mm -hmm. And so for the next seven or eight months, we did Pressure Cooker, Self-Destruct, Disconnected, all those tracks. And that was sort of the beginning of our relationship with Monster Cat. Mm -hmm. How do you say your style of music has changed over time? Um, Compared to the early songs that you made? I mean, you are constantly trying to reinvent yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. and, but you're still sort of like drawing from the same things, basically. But you need to, you need to try and tweak it and make it different. And yeah, sometimes we do, sometimes some of our songs sound similar because they're made in a similar kind of way. Mm -hmm. But um, your, your taste changes yeah. over time, your, your preferences change over time. And so we just try and make what we think is, is fun and entertaining at any given moment. Because mm -hmm. I. I'm not like trying to make music to manipulate something. I just want to feel happy making it and I'm trying to, I'm chasing this like euphoric feeling when I know that I nailed the drop or nailed the melody or I feel like I did at least. And mm -hmm. that's just, that's the feeling that I chase. Yeah. How would you say your, the relationship for your duo has grown over time? <laughs> Well, I mean, we're basically married. <laughs> he said point. exactly the same thing. He was like, we're married. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we, we, we know each other very, very well. Which also means that we know when, when to give each other space and mm. when, you know, sometimes we'll just be like, all right, go to our separate rooms and just, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, also, there are... Moments, I mean, I'm sure, you know, he, he knows all of my stupid, weird habits. I know his. I also know that he's, you know, my best friend in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't know what I would do oh, without I love him. That. You know, so. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Last question. What do you want you guys to be remembered for? I, I hope that we can be remembered for our music and uh, our sort of desire to add to add to this world mm -hmm. if it's if it's through inspiring people through our music or through talking to them. Um, we did um, a master class at JBL last night. Yeah. Where. We got to talk about the stuff that we care deeply about in terms of music production. 
And so just the fact that people came out there and they listened to us means a lot to me and I hope that they will take something away from that and can bring it on to someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye guys.